in times of confusion, adhere to bedrock principles, keep right. When in doubt, let conscience light the way, keep right. Amidst cultural confusion, reflect upon our history, keep right. Keep right with Ralph K. Genorio. The great issues of our time, the great controversies, are rooted in a fundamental disagreement about the nature of life, the universe, and everything. Just that, nothing big. Industrial era ideas are utopian. They assume that we as human beings can perfect ourselves and our society by an act of will. By being really clever and really dedicated, we can make a better human being for a better world. That's very optimistic. That's very industrial era. Bob the Builder says, can we build it? Yes, we can. And it is this blind optimism which appeals to the adolescent in all of us, bringing people to the revolution. It's also this blind optimism that has caused the murder of over 100 million civilians in peacetime by their own socialist governments over the last, well, within 100 years of the end of World War I. The industrial era ethos of utopianism is something that pre-industrial societies understood as nonsense. Pre-industrial ideas like Confucianism understand that human nature is a problem and that a person needs to rise above it to be a useful member of their family and of their community, of their culture, of their civilization. Confucianism being a philosophy of social harmony is about encouraging the individual to aspire to something greater. But that something greater is to make individual choices that harmonize the group and make the group more than the sum of its parts. Hinduism and Buddhism understand the flawed nature of human beings and posit a quest for the soul over time, perhaps lifetimes, to pursue its own perfection. Not in one lifetime, but in the course of traveling from the beast to the angel to the gods. Monotheists, Jews, Christians, and Muslims understand that human nature is quite flawed. The concept of original sin is the notion that we inherited the stain of Adam and Eve's sin in eating the fr fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that it is through the law, if you're a Jew or a Muslim, or it is through the willingly sacrificed blood of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, that we, by God's grace, can accept his invitation to overcome all of that. Human nature, according to pre-industrial philosophies and religions, is absolutely troubled. And groups cannot be saved. Pre-industrial societies understand this as well. Individuals can aspire to something greater, but the group has no conscience, has no soul. The group, even in Confucianism, 
is composed of individuals who have to make choices. And if they make moral or immoral choices, their personal fate and their personal contribution will be affected. The notion of collective salvation would be nonsense to a pre-industrial person. But in the industrial era, we think in terms of the mass, we think in terms of the group. So industrial era philosophies and religions tend to focus on social class or nationalism or on this or that or the other group of people who as a group have been discriminated against and as a group can be redeemed from the outside by extrinsic means. Very industrial. If we build it, they will come. Can we build it? Yes, we can. In addition to being collectivist and utopian, industrial era philosophies are materialistic. If it ain't matter, it don't matter. They look at the needs of the body, a la Maslow's higher hierarchy of needs, which um, is a psychological set of principles that I absolutely deny and decry as a root of evil. But basically, Maslow's hierarchy is misapplied by most socialists, say that if you feed a person, if you clothe a person, if you provide for their physical needs, the other stuff is just gravy. It's just extra. It's dessert after the meal that you need to have. Pre-industrial societies were wiser. They understood that the body is not the person. The meaning of life for human beings is to discover truth. We as individuals have to figure out why bad things happen to good people, why the good die young, why virtue is not always rewarded and vice is not always punished, why there is disease, why there is war, why there is poverty, why there is betrayal, why there is hardship, preventable, preventable hardship. And some of those answers are rooted in Concepts of misapplied free will, human beings choosing evil, choosing convenience, choosing ease, overdoing the right thing. And a lot of the nonsense miseries of history can be explained through the misapplication of free will, but not all. Now, there are mysteries in life that are beyond us. Sometimes they're horrible. Sometimes they involve death. Sometimes they involve the death of children. By accidents, by so-called acts of God. It's the need that we have as people to make sense of things like this. To try to understand. To try to go on living when the worst things have happened to us. That makes us human. It is this quest that liberal democracy, the idea of liberty, which inspired our founding fathers, inspired the Enlightenment philosophers who gave them ideas, inspired John Locke when he wrote the English Bill of Rights after the Glorious Revolution in England. The idea that a human being 
is most human when they are allowed to work out the meaning of their own lives and the meaning of suffering and of joy without reference to some official ideology to which all must conform. The last great conceit of the industrial era philosophies, typified by socialism, is that government can be a force for good. If only government would intervene to alleviate poverty. Well, we did that in the 1960s, and the destruction of the black family and the destruction of the American family is a result. If only government would ensure this, that, or the other thing. Governments don't innovate. Governments don't produce wealth. Governments leech off wealth from genuinely productive people in order to do those things that government must do, provide for the common defense, protect the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But the government cannot make you virtuous. The government cannot make you wise. The government cannot make you good. All the government has is the coercive power of the state, a bunch of armed bully boys who are ready to wound and kill on the orders of their superiors in government. At most, governments can bring about an outward conformity like in totalitarian police states. But no government ever persuaded anyone, gave anyone an epiphany, gave anyone a true growth in their appreciation of the sublime nature of life, the universe, and everything. Government tells us what to do and we obey, or we're punished. The coercive power of the state is where the rubber meets the road as far as government concern is concerned. Finally, I look on the Pharaoh Akhenaten as an example of this. In New Kingdom Egypt, Akhenaten was made Pharaoh. He was the embodiment of the god Horus on earth. When he died, he would be Osiris. His name was originally Aken Hamun, dedicated to the sun god Amun. But long before Jesus and Moses, Akhenaten, when he became Pharaoh, revealed his monotheism. He's the world's first monotheistic leader. And he served the Aten, A-T-E-N. The Aten is his god of the sun his one true God. For between 15 and 20 years, Akhenaten, who changed his name to Beloved of the Aten, ruled Egypt, denied the old gods. This is a living God whose legitimacy derives from being Horus on earth, denying the existence of Horus as a god. Closing the temples, firing the priests, changing the capital to a new city of the Aten, at Asmara, all because he had a revelation. The result was riots, burned granaries, rebellion, revolution, invasion. Egypt shook, and when he died, Akhenaten was the most hated pharaoh in living memory. If you ever wonder why, people who inspire religions 
tend to be from obscure backgrounds. Why would an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God choose to have his incarnation be born in a jerkwater town south of Jerusalem, grow up in a backwoods town north of Jerusalem, the son of a carpenter who hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors, actors, and fishermen to work his miracles and work his ministry in an annoying, irritated, second-class province, part of Syria in the Eastern Roman Empire. Why would he do that? Because Akhenaten failed. Because government cannot bring virtue or salvation. All it can do is force people to an outward compliance or punish them for failing to do so. The great conceit of communism is that they can murder their way to utopia. The great conceit of socialism is that they can prune human nature. And it is this illusion of control that appeals to vainglorious, monomaniacal demagogues like George Soros, like Klaus Schwab, like the World Economic Forum, like Bill Gates, like all of these wannabe saviors who think that if only they had more control over people, if only they curtailed freedom and directed freedom and nudged freedom in the direction that they wanted to go, the world would be a better place. This is all rooted in the industrial era conceit that man is perfectible through his own means, that is utopianism, that groups of men can be saved despite themselves, that's collectivism, that the body is more important than the mind or the soul, that's materialism, and that government can be the instrument of human salvation, that's statism. Pre-industrial people knew better. And it is this struggle between left and right today. The left is industrial. The right harkens back to something earlier and something better. Thank you for listening. Please share and subscribe. Remember, we are each connected to the great Western tradition going back to before Christ and Caesar. It is for us to carry that tradition forward by willingly bearing the burden of eternal vigilance. Freedom is only for the brave.